Judges chapter 2. I do thank Pastor Brooks for the privilege to preach. Um, I look out across this auditorium and I see many new faces. And that's a good thing. That means this church is growing. That means God is blessing. And it also means that I need to get to meet some people. Because... but, that, but I do see a lot of old, uh, people, I won't say old people or I'll get in trouble. <laughs> I, I do see a lot of people that I've known for quite a long time. But uh, I do thank Pastor Brooks for the privilege of being able to speak. And it's interesting because a couple weeks back, the Lord started laying a sermon on my heart, and I knew I was coming, and I thought, you know, I'll just tuck that away. And I know why God wanted me to preach it now. So if you allow me, just I want to take a few minutes to pay honor to whom honor is due. Romans chapter 13, verse 7 talks about that. And as I already mentioned, there's a lot of new people here. You may not know who I am. Um, I grew up in this church. Pastor Williams was my pastor. Um, There's a lot of memories here, um, a lot of good memories. And when, like I said, when Pastor Brooks asked me to preach, God began to work in my heart about preaching a sermon entitled Biblically Educating the Next Generation of Leaders. And as I thought about the thrust of my message, my mind began to think about how God used not only my parents, but also Liberty Baptist Tabernacle and Academy to biblically educate me, who was the next generation at that time. Now, I don't have enough time to really list everything, and I'm I don't want to offend if I don't bring up everything, but there are so many things I could talk about how God used in my life to biblically educate me. But I just want to mention a few. First of all, I remember Pastor Williams always told me, be ready to preach, pray, sing, die, or give a testimony. And you know, that taught me, I know it's a little bit of a funny phrase, but you know that taught me? In other words, to be always available and willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. Pastor Williams always taught me, God said it, and that settles it. And that means obey God's word, and don't ask any questions. God's word is true. Pastor and Mrs. Williams both taught me to sing to God's glory and honor, no matter what anybody thought. She always told me, just rear back and let her rip. (laughs) And there were times I reared back and let her rip, and it sure enough ripped. Ripped a lot of people's ears. So, um, but you know, I've never, I've never lost that, that just singing to God's glory and honor. I remember Pastor Williams always get up here after you sing. Sing to God. And he would say that over and over and over again. My parents taught me the importance of faithfulness to God's calling and will in your life. No matter what other people are doing, just stay faithful. My dad specifically taught me the importance of faithfully standing along your pastor and supporting him no matter what other people do. You just stand beside your pastor, you support him, and don't worry about what other people are doing. My parents, Pastor Williams, have continued to teach me to follow God's will no matter what, even if it meant leaving their side. You know, my point tonight in way of introduction is God used my parents in this church and school, along with many other people I didn't mention because of time, to biblically educate the next generation of leaders. Now, of course, mankind is a free will. 
Not everyone who came to this church and this school caught the vision and followed faithfully in, in, in their godly footsteps. But it can't be said that they did not do their best to biblically educate the next generation. Turn to, you've already turned there, and if you haven't, Judges chapter 2 and verse 6. Judges chapter 2 and verse 6. And it says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel, when every man unto his own or his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the Mount Ephraim of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And, although, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Notice. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. You know, the Bible compares our life in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. He compares our life to a race. However, it's not just any race. It's a relay race. God is not concerned only about how you and I run. He cares just as much about the runners after us who will take our baton, if you will, and run the next lap. The runners, in other words, of the next generation. You know, that relay race began with Adam and Eve who passed their baton to their children, who then passed it on to their children and on and on. And the race And it is a race that is still not finished. And who really knows whether this race will end? It may go on for generations to come. But the truth is that we are running a race and our responsibility, one of them, is to pass the baton onto that next generation. So it would behoove us to not be short-sighted, but to keep a long-term vision in mind. Now, I believe that Parents have the primary responsibility in biblically educating the next generation of leaders, their children. But there are so many other people who are a part of this responsibility. The church, the school, fellow church members, godly leaders. You see, it's biblical. The Bible says, and as I already mentioned, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's that primary responsibility. But notice in Titus, and I'm not going to read it all, but Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, speaks about how the aged men and the aged women have a responsibility to educate the young men and the young women. In other words, the next generation. So we'd better learn from the past. We better remember what happened to the previous generations in time past. The Bible's full of the glory days, a blessing and, and fruitfulness whenever a generation received proper training from the previous generation. But you know, the Bible's full of a lot of stories, might I say gory stories, when a generation experienced spiritual defeat and decay because the parents and the leaders of that former generation neglected to train their offspring for their turn in the relay race. And might I add, I believe a lot of the problems that we have in America today is because we have not 
been responsible in educating that next generation. Oh, we've educated them, but we have not educated them in the Word of God. And we're only doing what God said. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. And if you sow to the Spirit, you'll of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I didn't say it. God said it. And He said, I'm not going to be mocked. We need to remember these things. And we see here in Judges, there's three generations. We had Joshua's generation. We had the elders that outlived Joshua. Both of them followed God. But then that generation, we see that that last generation that outlived, Josh, that outlived the Joshua and the elders did not serve God. And we see the downward spiral and the effect that it had. Now, many people believe that Judges chapter 2, verse 6, has a connection, and I, and I found this with um, Joshua's charge in chapter 24. Turn over to Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. You'll understand what I mean here in a second. So we see a connection between Judges chapter 2, verse 6, and Joshua chapter 24, and verse number 28. So Joshua 24, verse 28 says, so Joshua let the people depart. You're going to notice it's very similar. So, let, so Joshua let the people depart, every man in, in, unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, dying being, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the, in the border of his, in his inheritance in Timnath Sarah, which is in the Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. But notice the difference here, while there's similarities, the difference is we don't have that revealing truth of that third generation that we see in Judges chapter 2, verse 6. But in Joshua's charge here, and that's where we'll stay, I found three principles that we must remember in our lives as parents and leaders of the next generation, if we're going to be able to biblically educate the next generation. And I believe that these principles will help us. Obviously, you, the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and prayer and God's work in hearts, that's important. But you'll see these things will help us keep our focus right and keep things right as we biblically educate the next generation. Let's pray before we start. Father, thank you for your love. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church, Lord. It's just a blessing to be here. So many memories and um, good memories. And I thank you for those. And I thank you for Pastor Williams, Mrs. Williams, my parents, so many other people, Pastor Brooks, Lord, all these people here. And I pray that you would just use me in a special way tonight. I pray that if there is someone here tonight that has not taken care of that relationship with you, if they do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, that you would work in their hearts and that you would use me and use the Word of God mostly and, all, and only to work in their hearts, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would just do a work that I, only, that I cannot do, and that is work in hearts. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If we are going to biblically educate the next generation of leaders, we must, first of all, contemplate contemplate. That's in verses Joshua 24, verse 1 through 13. I'm not going to read for sake of time, but if you were to read that, Joshua began his closing, we believe this is towards the end of his life, he began his closing remarks by calling the people to a time of contemplation. 
And he wanted them to remember three things. And I think it would be, it would be helpful for us to remember these things. First of all, he wanted them to remember his power in their lives. If you were to read this, Israel was reminded of how God had chosen them and called them as a special people, how he had redeemed them and delivered them from Egypt, how he manifested his power and glory on their behalf time and time again. They were, they were reminded of the victories they had had and enjoyed and the blessings that had been a part of their lives because of God's work in their life. And we need to contemplate that. Remember where God found us. Remember how he called us. Remember what he's done for us. Remember how he has blessed us time and time again. How he's worked on our behalf. I was reminded of this as the brother got up here, Brother Brown got up here and and just talked about how God works. God works. God answers our prayers and we must remember that. The devil doesn't want us to though. He wants to rob us of all that joy and he wants us to to start getting sidetracked. And I ask you tonight, have you contemplated God's power in your life? Joshua not only wanted them to contemplate God's power, but God's presence. Israel, Israel was reminded that God had ever been with them. He said that over and over again, I was with you here and I did this and I was with you here. And he kept saying that and he kept saying that. And everything they faced, God was there and he was seeing them through. We need to remember that as well. From the day that we were saved by grace, God has never left us. He promises us that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, let your conversation or your behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28, verse 20 says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We need to remember God's presence in our life. God's power, God's presence, and, la- and lastly, he wanted them to remember his provision in their lives. I'm going to read verse 13. I, I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to read the whole, cha- the whole first, first, first 13 verses, but I want to read verse 13. Notice what verse 13, Joshua 24, verse 13 says, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Notice he's pointing out the fact that God had provided for them. Not, God not only worked on their behalf, and his power was not, ev- was not only evident, but, and, and, and not only that, but God's presence was with them, seeing them through every trial. But thirdly, God had provided them with every single thing that they had. But you know, sometimes we think, well, it's me who got that. You know, we think it's our abilities and our whatever. We're, especially guys, we are man-made, you know, love, freedom-loving Americans. And we're going to not let, you know, sometimes we have a rough time letting somebody say, well, God did that. We like to say, well, I did that. And God, you know, he helped me. We always try to throw that little spirituality in there just to justify our um, comment to God. You know, God is not humored by our comments. God is not humored by us saying he helped us when we know that he did everything and we did nothing. But we need to contemplate not only God's power, God's presence, but God's provision in our life. So I ask you, have you stopped lately to contemplate that? Have you reminded your children about God's power, presence, and provision in your family? Are you teaching them to contemplate that? They're not going to learn it 
without you showing them? Or maybe I should just start with, for all of us, and this is something that humbles me, do you even have God's power and presence in your life and family? They only live by, learn by example. And if you are not on your knees, and if you are not finding God's will, and if you're not seeing God answer your prayers, and if God's provision and power and presence is not in your life, it's going to hurt them. They're looking to you. It's a humbling truth. If they never see God's power, presence, and provision in your life, they may never have a desire to know God's power in their own life. And then we'll look back and we'll say, what happened? Be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So if we're going to learn to biblically educate our children or the next generation of leaders, we must contemplate. Secondly, we must confront some things. Look at verse 14 and 15. This is the familiar verses that we always hear. Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to have to con- not only con- contemplate or remember what God has done for us, but we're going to have to confront some things. And Joshua called the children of Israel to confront three things. He, was, he confronted them, first of all, by a command. Look at verse 14. I already read it, but notice there he commanded them to fear God. Joshua called the people to fear God, or in other words, to put God in first place in their lives. That speaks of not a, 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 a fear and intrepidation or that type of fear, but rather, I believe, a reverence or an honor for God. And that reverence and that honor will drive us to make sure God is first place in our lives. But you know, I see too much that we fear way more than God. We fear the government. We fear, and I, I know I'm meddling there, but I'll meddle just a second and get off of it. But we're, we fear the government we don't fear God anymore. We need to put God first place. Now, I'm not saying be an idiot and do idiotic things, okay? There's a difference. There's a spiritual balance there. But first, when God's first place, all that other stuff will fall into place. God will guide and direct you if you're praying to him and asking him for wisdom. And you'll find when you put him first and you honor and reverence him, everything else will just fall right into place. There'll be no problem. So he commands him to fear God. He secondly commands him to put away all the other gods. Now, we don't have actual images, at least I don't think you do, in your house that you go and bow down to. But really, any, the God that I'm talking about here and, I, and I'm trying to apply here is that, that God that draws your love and devotion away from the one true God. A God is anything that you put before your love and devotion for God. He called them to put away those gods. And then he he, um, commanded them to serve him with sincerity. Now that word sincere, well, the word serve has the idea of fulfilling the role of a slave. You know, we don't have a right to our, we, we hear all this about rights, 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 rights. Well, really, God created us and he owns us. Now, that's not what I said. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 said, what? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We don't own ourselves. We don't have a right to ourselves. Now, we heard a wonderful sermon this morning about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he wants that. He doesn't, he's not that, that God that's just has his thumb on us and just wants to just make our lives miserable. But it is still true that we are not our own. God owns us. But then that word sincerity means wholeheartedly, completely, with integrity. That word, that English word sincere actually comes from two Latin words, which means without wax. Now this is interesting. It was used to refer to trustworthy pottery dealers who sold first-class pottery that did not have cracks patched with wax. And you could spot a second-rate pottery piece or a patched pottery because when the patched pottery was held up to the light, the wax patch would be easy to spot. Now, the application is, so it is with people who live in sincere lives. When they're held up to the light of God's word, their hypocrisy shows. Their insincerity shows. They could say all day, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. As he said this morning, I know God, but does God know you? And when you're held to the light of God's word, where do you stand? And that is what we need to remember. God doesn't want us to live a life of hypocrisy. He wants us to be what we claim to be. And your children will see through the hypocrisy. They'll see through it. I, I don't know how to explain it, but trust me, they'll see through it. We must be continually checking that we're being sincere. We're putting away those gods. We're fearing God. Then they were confronted by a choice. He challenges the people to choose who they would serve. And it's time for us to choose who we're going to serve. Which side are you on? Elijah said that in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And he said to the people, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. We got to choose. He not only confronted them by a command, that is to fear God, to put away the other gods, to serve him. But then he said, are you, who, 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 what, who are you going to serve? And as a family, we must choose who we're serving. We must decide as a family that we're going to serve God, even if it gets tough. This COVID thing, it, it's tough. But it's not more tough or whatever, tougher, I guess it would be, I'm not an English major, trust me. It's not any tougher than what God can handle. God can see us through it. But when we sit there and just fall down and, you know, act like we can't do anything and don't call out to God, again, I'm not saying be an idiot, but we need to be seeking God's face. And that's what I've been encouraged to do. Take some time, like you said, and really get with God, really pray. God will show you but you got to make a choice before you're going to do that, or it just will be that checklist, and you'll falter somewhere down the line. They, he was confronted by, they, they, Joshua confronted them by a command. He confronted them by a choice, and then he challenged them. Joshua led by example. He said, whatever you do, I'm not worried about that, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He challenged them, and are you an example 
of this verse of serving God, choosing no matter what other people do, you're going to choose to serve God. Are you an example of that to your children? It's easy to say it. The rubber meets the road when you you actually have to do it. Children, are you an example of Joshua 24, 14 to your friends and maybe those that you hang around with? We need some men and women that are just going to settle to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going, to, they're going to just make a decision to follow God's word and his will, and they're going to put that all before anything else. And I'm not sitting up here like he said this morning, preaching a prosperity gospel that everything's going to be peachy and rosy and nothing's going to happen. Read the word of God. There's a lot that they had to go through. There's a lot that people had to go through for our freedoms as Baptists. You think this time is bad. The dark ages were worse. Okay? God wants us to to decide. We need to contemplate. We need to confront some things. Then lastly, we need to consecrate. Or in other words, set yourself apart to God. Look at verses 16, and I'm going to read a few of them and skip through um, some of them, but verse 16 of Joshua 24, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did great things or signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And notice Joshua says something interesting. It almost, you have to stop and do a double take on it. He says to him, you cannot serve the Lord. And you're almost like, okay. Then he goes on to say, for he is our and holy God. He is a jealous God, but, and he says, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do your hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. You notice Joshua was trying. We see that the people were resolved to follow God. But then Joshua reminded them that God is holy and righteous. If we serve him, he'll bless us. But if we don't keep our end of the agreement, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You're going to sow. You're going to reap what you sow. And we must remember this. Now, just bear with me and listen. We must remember that while God is a God of love, grace, and mercy, he's also still a holy and righteous God. And he will not tolerate sin in our lives. But that's not what we hear outside of these four walls. We hear this idea that God is a loving God and that we can just live whatever way we want to live. We don't have to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We just have to act like we're Christians, carry our Bibles, and then God, when we get to heaven, will just somehow overlook everything we did against him and the fact that we didn't even turn to him for salvation. And all of a sudden, somehow he'll let us into heaven. That's not the way God works. And there is a terrible high price to pay for disobedience. God is a merciful God. Trust me, I've seen God's mercy over and over and over again in my life. But I've also seen the consequences for my sin. And I wish I could go back and change it. There's a high price for sin. We need to remind ourselves of that. Or we'll 
allow ourselves to go down a road and our children will be caught up in the middle of it. And, and by God's grace and mercy, they may turn out and serve God. But we need to be in this business of biblically educating them, the next generation of, of leaders. And we see then that the people in verses 24 through 28, I'm not going to read it, set up a memorial. They responded by making up their minds to serve the Lord. And that memorial, which is a whole nother interesting thought process and something you could study, another sermon really that you could put together, preacher boys or those that preach, but they set up a memorial. It was a record of their decision and it would be something that held them accountable. Now we know the story, if, you have, if you've read the Bible. Sadly, while Israel promised God that they would serve him, they did not keep their vows to God and they paid a terribly high price. Just read Judges, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. God will hold us accountable for the vows that we make to him. And there was a whole generation that was affected by, that, by their awful negligence in biblically educating the next generation of leaders. Whether we not want to face it or not, we have a responsibility, a grave responsibility, might I add, to biblically educate the next generation of leaders. And we've been reminded of three things here that will help us keep our focus right if we're going to successfully, with God's help, with a lot of prayer, with a lot of falling before God on our knees and begging Him to work. If we're, we're, we have to do that to successfully pass that baton on to the next generation. But now I have to ask the question that we all, we all must ask ourselves. Are you doing these things in your life? And if so, are you then teaching your children to do those same things? Are you biblically educating the next generation? Unfortunately, the truth is someone or something is and will educate your children. If it's not this, you can't just leave it. It's not something you can just say, oh, you know, I, I'll, I'll just try my best. No, something or someone will educate your children. And more and more we're seeing it over and over and again. The world is not getting better. There's more junk out there that's, gonna biblically, that's not going to biblically educate your children. It's going to educate your children to follow the devil. We have to be active at this work. And there, were, and, and, and there are many people that were active in my life. And it was only by God's grace and mercy that I took that step towards the right direction. But they did their dead level best. They prayed. They invested their time. They invested their tears in that next generation. We need to be busy at that work. May God help us to faithfully pass the baton to the next generation so that we will not be written in the history books that the next generation did not follow the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, how, you're, how are you doing with your responsibility of biblically educating the next generation of leaders? First of all, we must examine our own lives and our own hearts to make sure that we're doing the things that were mentioned before we can attempt to educate the next generation. Now, the sermon was primarily to the saved. However, I want to say, if you're here tonight and you do not have a personal 
relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would ask you, I would plead with you, and God pleads with you to consider Christ. And I ask, has there been a time in your life where you realize that you are a sinner and that you turn from your sin to Christ and ask him to forgive you of you, your sins and be your personal savior? And if not, God is pleading with you to turn to him. I'm going to close in prayer. And after I pray, if you need to do business with God, I would invite you to come to an old-fashioned altar and call out to God for help. If you need someone to talk to you about salvation, about having that relationship with Christ, please let me or Pastor Brooks know. And we would love to find someone who can show you from the Bible how you can have a personal relationship with Christ. Let's pray.